What's going on, guys? It's Yahavi David, St. Clair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair. Now, guys, we have the honor to sit down with another impactful, incredible guest, best-selling author, Terry McDougall. She has this reward-winning book, The Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success at Your Own Terms. Not only that, but after doing my due diligence, Terry is an expert of efficiency. What that means is for you, of course, to work smarter, not harder, maximizing your time by maximizing your potential by being more intentional with the action that you're taking. Now, I'm excited to dive into the book, of course. Now, the book, the inspiration behind the book, and also the message in the book. Now, without further ado, Terry, I want to welcome you on to the St. Clair Speaks Your Podcast. Please give the audience a three to five minute introduction on yourself, your brand, your business, and please tell us more about this book and and not how it's a bestseller, but why is it a bestseller and why readers need to pick up this book now? Well, Yahavi, first of all, I want to say thank you for that jolt of adrenaline on this Friday afternoon. That's that's a good way to get this uh, interview started. So I, I love your energy. So yeah, I'm Terry McDougall, and I'm an executive and career coach and author of Winning the Game of Work. I work with high achievers who are successful but not satisfied. And what I mean by that is that if you looked at them on paper, you'd be like, wow, great title great company, they're making a lot of money, they're doing cool things, but a lot of times they're paying a higher price than what's necessary for that success. And so what I try to help people do is gracefully balance their professional success with their personal happiness. And quite frankly, when we pay attention to, you know, what what gets us jazzed up, where we get our energy from, we'll find that we have more in the tank to be able to, you know, invest our energy and our time into work so that we we actually get more, get more impact with less effort. And who doesn't want that? You know, and when, when you have that, and then you're able to use that additional time and that additional energy to do things that you enjoy. And quite frankly, I kind of look at it like, what is success without happiness? right? It's not, why are you even doing it? <laughs> I want to talk about this because like the happiness is one thing, man. You, you could make a million dollars and still not be happy. You could be miserable. Like d- define this because this is something I was battling with, you know, from the personal standpoint, like maybe like a week and a half ago with, you know, the work-life balance and finding the balance in between and finding the happiness in between, right? Mm-hmm. Because a bigger check does not result a bigger smile for some. So talk to us about that. Well, you know, I think it's all about getting in touch with who you are as a human being and, and honoring the things that you just innately love to do. 
you know, you've probably heard that saying that, you know, if you if you work at something you love, you actually never work a day in your life. And, you know, I'm not going to be like all Pollyanna ish and say that, you know, oh, you know, just do what you love. Right. But we we need to take that into consideration. You know, I, I tell people that try to I mean, sometimes it's way too late, right? Because people are on a path and and they're making a lot of money, but they're doing something that they don't love. But if I ever have the opportunity to talk to somebody that's sort of at the beginning of their career and they're asking me, like, what advice do you have for me? I say, look at yourself and say, what am I good at and what do I love to do? And if you can take those two things into consideration and then look out into the marketplace and say, where is there a need for what I love to do and what I enjoy doing or what I love to do and what I'm good at. And then follow that path because, you know, the success and the money will come if you have the energy and the passion to invest in what you do every day. And, you know, very often, you know, people will chase the dollars, they'll chase the paycheck and they get it. And the, the thrill of that way, it wears off pretty quickly right? You get used to the money and you still got to get up and go to work every day. Um, and if you don't like what you're doing, it's going to be drudgery. Um, so, you know, really pay attention to kind of what's in your heart and what's in your soul, and then look for those opportunities to kind of plug in, um, in what you do at work. I want to ask you this, and it's a very good point. Um, following right into the question with experience, a lot of things changes. How does the five leverage points to success align with that if we're going through turbulence and things change? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's a matter of really, I'm not gonna actually go into the leverage points to begin with here, but I think the place to start is to get clear on what's your objective here and what are your priorities? What are the most important things that you need to accomplish? Because a lot of times we'll get so caught up in our long, long to-do list and that we're just kind of going in like a little robot and just doing stuff because we feel like we don't have any choice because we've got so much work. We can't stop. We can't take a moment to plan. We can't take a moment to, to you know, think about how to prioritize. But often, you know, just taking a moment to step back and get some perspective on the situation and to think about how can I, you know, if I understand what my objective is, is my only option to work my tail off 24 seven, or can I step back and get creative about maybe I build some systems. Maybe I start looking around me and say, what other resources do I have to help me? Can I delegate some things to people? Can I triage, you know, so that I'm doing the most important things first? And, you know, the funny thing is that sometimes um, things will take care of themselves if you don't like jump in right at the beginning of things. I mean, I've seen plenty of, of managers who felt like they needed to be so involved in what was going on with their, uh, with their teams that they never gave the, the teams enough time to figure out things for themselves. Right. And as a manager and then the manager would be like, oh, I know I don't have enough time to do my own work. And I'm like, well, we, you know, be clear with those people what they need to do, but let them figure it out, you know, so that you can step back and, and look at the bigger picture items that you're charged with doing as a manager. So let's let's kind of like swing back. I want to piggyback a little bit and I want to jump into the why and the inspiration behind the book. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. What like what was it that triggered you to write this book? And then people are buying it like like 
tell us the goodies. I want to know the goodies here. Tell us. Yeah, the goodies. yeah. Well, it really started with um, you know I was at my last job for twelve years, and it was it was a good job. I mean, I I had four jobs actually over the the twelve years that I was at my last company, and. I'd say over the course of the time, it went from a job that was a great fit for me. And then I was asked to, you know, move into some other roles. The last job I was in was not such a great fit for me. I actually didn't even want the job, but my boss was like, I need you in this role. So I took it and I wasn't very happy in the job. And eventually I just made the decision to leave because I was unhappy and it, and I just didn't feel like I was set up for success. So when I left, I, I was in a position I didn't have to get another job right away. I had a little time and I, I initially just planned to take some time and sort of detox and then figure out what was next. Um, but during that time, I'd say like towards the end of my time and when I first was first left the company, I started blogging because I had a lot of thoughts. I was doing a lot of kind of introspection about like, what, are, what were the lessons that I learned here? What are some things that I could have done differently? And I just started blogging and people started responding to my blogs. Um, you know, I, I actually blogged pretty regularly, like about every other week for a couple of years. And somewhere along the line, somebody said to me, um, how many, how many words do you have? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, I downloaded all of them. And I had about 25,000 words. And he said, you know, you've got enough you've got enough words for a book. And so that was one thing. So that kind of planted the seed in my mind that I had kind of the beginnings of a book. And uh, a friend of mine told me that she was doing a book writing program. And when the more she told me about it, the more I was like, Oh, that sounds really interesting. Tell me more. And so I, I actually ended up joining up with that book writing program. And so, you know, basically, the blogs became um, it, kind of the seeds of the book, I the books like 75,000 words. So I wrote a lot more. But, you know, I guess at the heart of this, the reason that's like how I did it, the why is because I was always a very ambitious person. Um, I came from a blue collar background, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, I knew I wanted to make it in the corporate world. But there, I didn't have any mentors or guides, at least early in my career to teach me. So I was just always keen on like reading books and observing what was going on. And there's a lot of lessons about how you get ahead at work that nobody ever tells you. And I was, you know, sometimes I fell on my face and I learned lessons the hard way. I was lucky a couple times to have some great mentors who kind of took me aside and said, look, this is what's really going on. This is how you need to show up, et cetera. And I did hire coaches a couple times to help me figure out how I could show up differently. And so my why was to be able to share that with other people because I, I like helping people. And I really believe that people have lots of potential and a lot of times they get discouraged and, you know, not not because they're not talented and they're not smart and they're not capable, but because they just don't know some of these little, you know, tricks of the game. Nobody teaches them that. And so, and there's a lot of things that are in some ways counterintuitive, you know, like for example, to get ahead, you may actually need to do less, not do more. And, and most people are like, oh, you know, if I'm running into trouble, I just got to double down and, and work harder and go faster. And sometimes that's actually not the right thing to do. Mm. 
that's very that's a, you you make a very power you you fit some really you're hitting a lot of power points i love the fact that you turned a blog into the book like that is personal. <laughs> like and you at that moment when you just started writing you mentioned every other week you was you're sending them out did you know the amount of volume of words that you were like just building upon at that time i had no idea and and i did know though that I, I didn't know at first, but I did find out later that I was writing much longer blogs than what, you know, because I had these ideas and I would just like want to write everything that I had about the idea. And so a lot of times my blogs were like a thousand to, you know, 1200 words. And then I found out later that, you know, they, a lot of people say like, don't go past 500 words. But, uh, you know, so for me, I was like, oh, I had half a chapter. <laughs> right, you know, right. I, I just didn't know though, what was the best practice. That are, I want to ask you this, and it's, it, I mean, it's going to be a random question because I'm an overthinker. So I write down, I write a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Are you an overthinker? Is is there oh, a yeah. inspiration behind that? <laughs> yes, okay, absolutely. Awesome. All right, cool. All right, that's, that's, that's great. And I know I asked you this question before we started recording, but I want the audience to know what it was like for you to launch a book in the midst of the pandemic, right? So you're coming up on a year, April 11, 2020 would make a year for you with the book release. What was it like to release a book in the middle of a pandemic that changed millions of lives across the globe? What was that like for you? It was really disappointing. You know, I um, it, I put a lot of effort into this book. You know, I was in December, which was sort of like the crunch time for like the final editing and everything. I mean, some days I was sitting you know, working, editing, you know, maybe writing transitions and stuff for like 18 hours a day. You know, it was, it was a, a you know, true, like labor of love. It was, I would, I would actually compare it. I have three kids and I would compare it to, you know, gestating a child, right? You put so much into it and it's painful, but then when it comes, you're so excited and you want to show the world, right? And I had all these plans for like, I, I was going to partner with this boutique and, you know, on this fancy uh, shopping street in Chicago to have a, a book launch party there. I was going to do book signings at local libraries. I mean, I had all of these things planned and obviously, you know, the book came out in April and and actually, it was supposed to come out in March, but it was delayed by the pandemic. And uh, I couldn't do those things. So I had to pivot, you know, and, and I actually, um, you know, I, although I will say that I think that sometimes when you're forced to pivot, that great things come out of it. Because what I initially did was I started responding to a lot of uh, requests. There's, there's a I don't know, I guess it's like a company that's called Help a Reporter Out, Harrow. And reporters uh, will, will send in their pitch requests to this company. And three times a day, Monday through Friday, the company sends out emails to people that have signed up. And you can look through the, the reporter requests. And if you feel like you're qualified to comment on a story they're working on, you can do that. So that's what I was doing at first. And I got quoted in like 60 different articles because I was an author and, you know, an expert coach and, and so forth. Um, but what I found was that it's very, very time consuming, you know, because you have to, I mean, sometimes there's hundreds of requests and you have to go through all of them and then you have to like, you know, type up your pitch and all that kind of stuff. And so just kind of accidentally, um, a couple people just said, Oh, you got a book, you know, would you like to come on my podcast? And so I, I started realizing like, Oh, being on podcasts is actually easier. <laughs> right. And I have more time. Um, and I also know that, you know, I'm going to 
be out there sharing my message if I get to be a guest on a podcast. So I actually shifted my focus from responding to print reporters to uh, to podcasting. And and then once I did that for a while, I thought, why don't I just start my own podcast? And so I've been, you know, I was kind of forced to find a different way to get my message out there um, when I couldn't do like the typical things due to COVID. So I suppose that there's kind of a silver lining inside the cloud um, because I actually have absolutely loved getting into the podcast game. It's it's awesome and you know it's wonderful to connect with people from literally all over the globe. Well, I, all right, so I, I definitely want to stay onto the topic of you know, of course, you know, you being an author. I want to know, you know, testimonials from readers, right? Like there are people that's going to pick up Rich Dad, Poor Dad because they want to learn wealth, right? Is the intent behind picking up your book, uh, is there a message that you want these readers to take away? Um, if, if there is a message, like what, what do you want people to take away? Well, what I want them to take away or what might make them pick up the book is that if they feel like they're working hard and they feel like they're doing everything that they think they should do at work and they're not getting the results that they expect. I mean, I this is on my cover of the book. It says, you know, you might not understand that work is a game and you're not playing by the right rules. So if you want to understand how to win at work, buy the book. Right. I'm going to shift your mindset. I'm going to get you looking at things differently than you probably do right now. And, you know, what do they say? Like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Right. So if you've if you feel like, you know, work is crazy making because you're trying a lot of things and nothing's working. Tr you know, take a look at, you know, some of the lessons that I'm sharing that, you uh, it took me, you know, 30 years to learn. It's so it's such a learning curve because no one was prepped for COVID. No one was prepped for this. No one, you know, big corporations changed. Even little businesses changed. Everyone mm -hmm. had to learn how to pivot. So uh, learning how to pivot, right? You know, pivoting during a pandemic. W walk us through that. W what was that like for you? And, and, and what is it like to guide, you know, the clients that you're working with, the community that, you know, that follows mm -hmm. you, what, what is mm -hmm. it like teaching them to, to pivot during a pandemic? Well, I mean, for me personally, it wasn't a huge uh, pivot for me because I coach remotely most of the time. You know, I, I would occasionally meet with clients in their office or, or in a coffee shop or something like that. Um, but, you know, only people that lived or worked near me. I, I actually work with people all over the country, but, um, uh, so it, for personally, it didn't have a huge impact, but, you know, I definitely saw, I mean, I work with people who are in job search and a lot of people lost their jobs during, especially, you know, in those, those early months of the, of the pandemic. Um, and so that was, you know, that was something that I had to help people deal with. Um, thankfully, you know, there was still a lot of hiring going on during the pandemic, too, and especially in particular, you know, like tech and marketing and um, so IT, you know, there was a lot of hiring going on. So people were getting hired. Um, also, one of the things that I saw was that with the change of perspective, you know, people weren't in their regular routines of getting up and commuting to work every day, that they had time and space to reexamine things. 
you know, and, and there were a lot of people that started looking at, you know, maybe realizing maybe I am not as happy as I, I didn't have time to think about whether I was happy or not before when I was just in the swing of my routine. But now that I don't have a two hour commute or whatever, um, I've got some time to sort of re-examine my life and, and question, is this, is this where I want to be? And so there were a number of people that reached out to me to say, you know, I, I want things to be different in my life, in my career. And, you know, so I think that they're taking like a little extra time and space and also the freedom, right? Like they can, we can do a call at one o'clock in the afternoon and they don't have to worry about somebody overhearing them, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so that's, those, those are some of the things in the way that it, it impacted me. And it actually was a good, good year for, from a business standpoint for me because of those things. But a lot of, um, a lot of the things that I'm working with people on are things like, how do you balance work and home when you're working from home? You know, there were a lot of people that had trouble creating boundaries between work and home because, you know, if we're going into the office and we leave the office. It's like, okay, work's done. But, you know, some people actually, you know, I think deep down inside, actually a lot of us have this, um, this feeling like, oh, if I'm working from home, like people are going to think I'm playing hooky right? They're going to think I'm watching, you know, the game shows during the day instead of working. And so a lot of times people were actually trying to overcompensate to prove that they were really working, you know, so they'd be, you know, working a lot later than they normally would or being like super responsive at, you know, 10 o'clock at night to their boss's emails and stuff like that. And as a result, we're sort of like burning out because they did, never had, they never like turned things off so that they could sort of rest and relax and recharge. And so some of the things that I ended up, and, and I still end up coaching people on are, you know, step back and say, you know, what's required in terms of, of work? And, you know, if you feel like you've got to check emails at 10 o'clock at night, what's driving that? And, you know, are is there going to be anything negative that happens if you wait till 8.30 tomorrow morning to return that email? Um, it, you know, I've, I've worked with people to to do things like, you know, there was too much of a temptation with one client, like every time she walked by her dining room table where she had her computer set up, she'd want to stop and check emails, even if it was late at night uh, or on the weekends. And I said, okay, when you get done with work, close your laptop and put it away. Okay, because that way it's not going to be a trigger for you to feel like you have to do this type of thing. Um, so so there's that there have also been, you know, obviously issues with how do you motivate your team when you don't see them? Right. Um, and for for a lot of managers, they've had to get creative. You know, I know that um, one manager that I work with her team, you know, the, the company wasn't filling open positions. So the people that were left were, you know, had more burden on their shoulders. And there was a lot of, you know, pressure to keep up production. And, um, you know, she was, she was just sort of getting creative by doing things like sending out, um, you know, uh, food delivery gift cards to people to, you know, just show that she appreciated them. I know that, I mean, probably a lot of people have heard all of the, the things about, you know, Zoom get togethers and stuff. And I, I think that there's a lot of mixed feelings about that. I think some people are like, I'm on Zoom all day long. I don't want to like Zoom and have a Zoom happy hour, you know. Um, 
but uh, you know, I think as a manager, just being aware, asking people what it is that they need, um, recognizing that people have a lot of extra pressures on them sometimes with, you know, maybe caring for fam family members or homes homeschooling kids, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, just having some empathy and, you know, maybe providing a little bit more intentional support than what they normally do, um, you know, under normal circumstances. You've made a lot, you've made a lot of points. You also like, just to kind of like piggyback, you know, mention the story about, you know, some people are, you know, responding to these 10 o'clock emails. The first things I, one of the things I wrote down was job security. A lot of people are, they're scared. Job yeah. security, it's not, it's not promised. We, 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 everyone right. experienced that, right? right? This pandemic has shown that, hey, nothing's promised. So True. everyone's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to respond as soon as I can because I'm trying to secure this. Sure. But would you say that for that particular reason of people being scared, it's raising their anxiety levels? Yeah, what absolutely. What would you say? Yeah, well, what I would say on that is that, you know, fear is the lowest level of energy that we can have. And, you know, fear is, you know, like fight or flight. Obviously, these are survival instincts and we need them to, to protect us when, when there's something that's life-threatening. But a lot of times when there's uncertainty like this, we can be in a, a place of perpetual fight or flight. And, you know, like physiologically, that's a very expensive place to be from an energy standpoint, because like when adrenaline and cortisol are being pumped into your bloodstream all the time, it exhausts you. You know, and so I think it's really important to, you know, build some boundaries that allow you to sort of be in a safe place from, uh, you know, a mental and emotional standpoint and not feel like you've got to be on that treadmill 24 seven or else you're going to lose your job. Because what what happens when we're um, feeling fearful is that we see the world through a pinhole. Right. We I mean, and, and this is something that happens physiologically, too, that that our field of vision goes very narrow because we're focusing on the threat. Right. But when we do that at work, which, by the way, very rarely are we, you know, physically in danger at work. Right. We feel it. And so we react that way. But, you know, if we step back and say to ourselves, like, okay, how am I feeling? And why am I feeling this way? You know, we might be feeling like, oh, the company's having layoffs, and I, I'm, I feel scared. And so therefore, I want to constantly be proving my worth. But being on that kind of hamster wheel or treadmill, it keeps us from having a bigger impact, right? When you're looking at the world through a pinhole, rather than rising above and saying, like, you know, here's, here's us looking through a pinhole, right? Like it's, we've got the blinders on, we only see a very small piece of what's going on around us. But if we can relax, we, we just pull the, the blinders back and we start to have a broader field of vision and we may start to see, you know, opportunities, or we may see better and more efficient ways of dealing with what's going on. Right. So it's not like we're just like that little, you know, hamster on the wheel, but we're we're standing back and we're like, oh, you know, I've got this like little battery op operated thing that can make the 
the wheel go round. I don't have to like put so much of my, you know, sweat equity into it. I can start looking for, you know, you mentioned this earlier, the leverage points, right? Like how, how can I, what can I delegate? What process can I put in place? You know, what are my priorities? Am I giving myself time to focus so that, you know, I can come up with the next great idea or that I can, you know, finish this project in an hour instead of five hours. Right. You know, and that and that's that's something that a lot of us do is that we're trying to multitask and we lose so much time in those transition points. Whereas, you know, if we would just be like, okay, I'm just going to focus, I'm going to, you know, turn off my email notifications, I'm going to put my phone in the other room, and I'm going to sit down and focus for two hours on this work that I need to do, right? Like we might knock something out that if we tried to do it, like while we're juggling everything else, it might take us three days to get it done. I love that you said, you know, fear is one of the lowest energies. I, I love that. I have to write that down. I'm gonna, I have to caption that on 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 this particular episode <laughs> because that and it's spot on because fear will rob you out of your best moments of your life. Give me a referral and I will sponsor your business in an ad segment just like this. Visit stclairspeaks.com and learn more about the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast proposal. It's that time with my gift for gabability. So opportunities come to those who hustle. So if you're not hustling, you're not creating the opportunities for yourself, you're never gonna be successful. You gotta do the groundwork and the groundwork starts with you. Yes, it will. It is, that is so spot on. All right, so this is really good, you know, learning a little bit more backstory. Now, you could tell me, is there another <laughs> book on the way? Is there another book in the process? Like what's going on behind the, the writing scenes for you right now? Well, I mean, I do I do have like little sparks every once in a while of things that I could do. I, I haven't committed to anything, but a couple of ideas that I've had is that I did um, provide sections of the book that are exercises. Mm. In, and I've considered pull, pulling that out and just making a workbook that people can have as a companion piece. And, you know, where it has enough room for them to, to fill it out and, and that kind of thing. That's that's one idea I have. And then another thing that I've considered is that I did interview 11 people for the book about their careers. And the reason why I included their stories is because I think for a lot of people, you know, they either in the beginning of their career, they may look at somebody who's like risen to a high leadership level and they'll just think, oh, they must just be super smart or very lucky or you know, they don't realize what it takes to get to that level. And, or, you know, maybe somebody goes for a promotion and they don't get it and they say, oh, well, I guess I'm just not management material. But I told these stories because it's all people who are successful and who had a lot of disappointment and setbacks and got fired and, you know, owed the government taxes and were sexually discriminated against. I mean, there's, tons of, of stories and they all have a redemption part of the story where they kept going and they got to a point where they're happy. They like what they're doing. And that is something that is available to all of us, right? And But it's, it's totally natural and understandable why people get discouraged sometimes. So I wanted to tell these stories and I know I, sometimes I'm long-winded, but um, I, I, uh, 
am always listening for people's stories. And I, I think that I could do like a whole book of people's career stories. And that would, that might be one that's, that I have, uh, you know, in my back pocket. So <laughs> that's dope. I'm, yeah, man, that's, a, that's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. That That's great. I, I, I've been recently started saying this saying, right? When you meet one person, you meet a thousand people. So I'm pretty sure while you're interviewing these people, you're collecting these stories, there's thousands of other people that you're having these subconscious conversations with. Like, that's really, that's really dope. I want to ask you this question, right? I want to dive into this. Um, leveraging your energy, right? Mastering your energy. So you could definitely do more in not just the corporate work setting, but at the home setting as mm -hmm. well. I've, you've mentioned this in this interview a couple of times, you know, like delegating, outsourcing, et cetera, et cetera. How can we master, how can we master self energy and that could show in our work? How, how do we do that? Walk us through that a little bit. Well, the way that behavior works is that there's a stimulus it causes us to, to have a belief. And usually that belief goes back to some experience that we had even back in early childhood, right? And, and this stuff is in our subconscious, right? It's sort of our operating system. And based on what our belief is, we have an emotion. And based on that, that emotion, we have a response. And so if we want to change, and, you know, the response could be fear, right? It could be, you know, judgment it could be you know i want to i want to like argue or fight or get defensive it could be you know i'm blasé about it could be i want to care for someone could be i'm like oh there's a great opportunity but that outcome is based on what our belief is and so if we're finding that there's a pattern in our life that you know oh every time this happens i get anxious I, I would say, and this is what I do in coaching, right, is that I help people explore what's that belief? You know, what's that thought that you have? And it happens so quickly for most of us that we don't even know what that thought is. But it's important in that moment where we go from like, hey, I'm just, you know, walking down the street and then all of a sudden something happens and we have this feeling and then we do something. We got to slow it down to slow-mo and be like, what was it? at that moment when things changed what did i was i did i believe that person was going to hurt me you know or did i see one of my best friends on the street and i was like oh you know i love them right and you got happy and you went up and hugged them right but if we can if we can explore that belief and say to ourselves where did this come from is this not even my belief? It might be something that our parents planted in us because, you know, they came from an abusive household. And so they, you know, they trained us to be, um, you know, suspicious of strangers, right? We might, um, you know, we might be standoffish with people because we were trained that pe other people might hurt you, right? But that might not be true at all. Right. And we, we need to kind of look at that and say, is this my belief? Is this based on my experience? What else could be happening here? And if I don't like the outcome, if I don't like feeling scared or anxious or defensive, what would I have to tell myself in that moment to make me feel differently? Right. And it could be, you know, maybe this person's friendly. Okay. And then if, if you're, 
you know, if you've been very suspicious of people and all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe they're friendly, you're probably going to approach them in a little bit more open way. And then if they are friendly to you, it's going to reinforce that. And you're going to start to realize like, oh, I don't have to be so defensive. Right. And this is how behavior changes. But it does take some, you know, and, and with the, you know, with the emotions, that's where, you know, there are some emotions that drain energy, you know, the fight or flight drains energy, it takes more energy to do that, than you get back from it. But, you know, if you think about, say, you know, doing something that you love, like if you're a creative person, and you get caught up in like painting or writing, or if you like to exercise, or, you know, playing games or something like that, connecting with people that are friends, those kind of activities fill us up, right? I, I know a lot of times if I'm doing something creative, I could do it for hours because I love it so much. You know, it just, it creates more and more energy for me. Um, and so that's, you know, without going too, too much into, you know, behavioral theories, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, you change your belief, you can change your life. Absolutely. You know, I concur. I, I, you know, a thousand percent support that message. I've read, I've read so much books between the last two years that I just finished reading the science of getting rich and I'm reading the secret. Now I, I saw mm -hmm. the movie, but all of these books talk about mastering your mindset, you know, thinking yeah. like really thinking you also said something I wrote down outcomes are based on beliefs. Mm -hmm. That is very, like, can you, I, I want you to dissect that a little bit, but what, you know what you're really hitting a nail on the coffin with this one because it does take it's like look i was a personal trainer to make a long story short i was a personal trainer for about like eight ten years blah 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 etc etc i know what it takes to get aesthetically the body that i want but to train the mind takes uh, it takes much more work than to change the physical body why is that ah okay where where do we begin with this <laughs> um well i mean First of all, anything that you want to happen in your life has to begin with an idea, right? You have to conceive of it in your mind before it can ever happen, okay? And so I actually see this a lot with people um, where, you know, maybe they come to me and they're like, oh, I don't really like how things are going, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, what is it that you want? Right. And they may say, well, I want to be promoted and immediately they'll say, but I, that's never going to work because they only hire MBAs for this kind of stuff. And I don't have an MBA and I'm too old to get back to school. Right. So I, I'm like, OK, so you know what you want and you just smothered it in the cradle. <laughs> right. You're not even allowing that idea to live. Right. And so what you want and how you get it are two separate things, okay? And I think it's really critical to separate them and to allow the things that you want to live. Give it air, tell people about it, start exploring. It doesn't mean, like, I think sometimes the reason why people, the, well, the reason why people smother it because they don't wanna be disappointed. They don't want to have to step outside of their comfort zone and explore like maybe I could have this. They're afraid they're going to be disappointed. But you know what? If you start a, if you start on a path towards the thing that you want, maybe you're not going to get it. But 
you'll probably find yourself in a better, happier place just for having gone on the journey. And maybe like you, like, I'll just give you an example. Like I thought early in my career that I wanted to be a chief marketing officer. That was my goal. And that was sort of my North star. You know, it caused me to go back and get an MBA and, you know, a lot of things that I did along the way, hire coaches and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, But the closer that I got to the chief marketing role at the big company that I worked for, the more I, I didn't know what was required. I thought I wanted to do it. But when I got close, I was like, I don't want to do that job. Like a lot of the aspects of marketing that I enjoy so much, they don't even do that at that level. You know, it's a it's a lot more, you know, administrative, lots of meetings, um, you know, dealing with the CFO to try to get money and stuff like that. That just didn't seem too exciting for me. So, you know, I, I would say that it was it was a good North Star to get me on my journey, but I allowed myself along the way to say, okay, I want to pivot and go in a different direction now. And that's okay. But, you know, if I had told myself early in my career, like, well, I really want to be a CMO, but I can't have it because X, Y, and Z, I never would have even started on the journey and I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so, you know, figure out what you want and start doing a few little things to to get there, even if it means like Googling it or finding somebody that's doing the thing that you'd like to do and ask them, how'd you do it? How do you like it? What's it really like? You know, these are all, these are all things that I think attract energy to you and make the possibility of the thing you want much more um, of a possible reality. Terry, I love how you have passion in a pandemic. (laughs) So I, I want to actually talk about that, right? How do you have, how do you have passion in the middle of a pandemic in a crisis? How do you have so much passion, and how can one also, you know, find this passion, right? How can we get the ball rolling for people who who don't know what passion is, who haven't found that spark? Well, I mean, I really believe that deep down inside, people do have things that they love, things that they aspire to. They have passions. But I think a lot of times they lock those up in a little box and they tuck it away because of the reason that I said earlier, that they're afraid, like, maybe I'm not good enough to have this, you know, um, maybe they've had some experiences where they've faced a lot of disappointment and they want to protect themselves from that. Um, But, you know, I think that failure only happens when we stop trying, you know, and and, um, like I said, you really can't lose if you just start on the journey, (laughs) you know, because you're going to find yourself someplace. And hopefully if you keep following, like, okay, what does my gut tell me? What does my heart tell me? You know, what, what kind of divine guidance am I getting as I'm going on my journey? If you tune into those parts of yourself, and if you believe in a higher power, the higher power, you're going to be guided towards something that's really authentic for you. And, and that's, that's a huge gift. And it's also something that, can inspire other people to do that as well. Um, To answer your question about like, how do I, you know, find passion in a pandemic? (laughs) You know, how do you find passion any day, right? Like you got to deal with what is, right? This is what is, this is what's going on right now. And, you know, frankly, um, you know, some people might not completely agree with this, but, you know, there have been some, good things among the bad within the pandemic, right? You know, I I think uh, what I mentioned earlier is that 
I have discovered new ways to connect with people. I've made friends all over the world. I never would be talking to people in Australia or the UK or Africa or Asia, which I have done over this past year on podcasts. I never would have done that um, in the in the old days, in the pre-pandemic days, because I would have been taking the train into Chicago to go to some networking meeting, right? And not that there's anything wrong with that. I kind of look forward to being able to get back to that, that part of normal. But I'm actually really excited about how we've been forced to explore different ways of getting in touch with people. And I'd say that my my view of the world has has changed, right? I mean, being able to talk to people on different on different continents, you know, it, it's just reinforced for me that like, even if somebody's got a different accent, or they live in a different climate or whatever, we're all humans, and we have a lot in common. And it's it's so beautiful to connect with people on the, that level, too. I love it. I mean, so why, what's not to be passionate about? <laughs> right. No, you know, you, you make a lot, a lot of valid points. A lot of good has come to this pandemic, like this podcast. It's literally mm -hmm. about to be about maybe in a couple of days. It's about to be a year for me since, you know, I've launched mm -hmm. this podcast. So for me, you mentioned like a great way of meeting people. Likewise, right? Hearing mm -hmm. your story, hearing that inspiration, like I'm over here, you're dropping a lot of gems. I'm over here taking so much notes. But <laughs> For me, yeah, it, it's great because I'm such an introvert, right? I'm an introvert, but I'm learning how to like like break out of that and not use that as a as a scapegoat on why I can't network and connect sure. with more like my yeah. individuals. So, I mean, this is great because because of this pandemic, I've discovered I was an introvert. I didn't know that. I just thought I was an asshole. <laughs> you know, call a spade a spade, but you know, not being not being as good with people was an indication that, hey, it's not that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so about people. It's just, hey, I'm introverted. And you also made a point about going back to childhood and we're taught various things about human beings. This person could do X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatever. And I, and when you said that, that resonated with me. I'm like, wow, like you're hitting, you're, you're, you're hitting some things <laughs> right on. But that, but it, it's as, as small, I want to say as small as it sounds, but as small as that could be, it has a huge part in how, how we conduct business as professionals, mm -hmm. right? So I might not, you know, just random name, John Smith. I might not invite John Smith on my podcast because of his LinkedIn profile or whatever. But it, it just showed me, and one, never judge a book by its cover. Two, to, to be more open to networking, to, to hearing stories like this, to, to finding inspiration, I, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And how you've learned to not just find happiness in what you do as a career and success, but to master that energy. I think that's very important, right? We all have 24 hours, but we all have energy. Not mm -hmm. everyone knows how to master their energy. There are people that's, no. that's been on this earth for 75 years, don't know how to master their energy. I don't wanna say the good is gone, but I don't wanna live, Terry, I don't wanna live life discovering my purpose at the age of 65. Sure. I, I don't want to live life like that. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't either. Although what I would say is that, you know, better, oh, sorry, um, better age 65 than never, you know? Um, and, you know, all we have is now. <laughs> it's all we have, right? And, you know, sometimes I, I will work with people that they've told themselves a story about their life, often based on some terrible experience that they had when they were a child. You know, I, I've 
worked with people who, you know, were abused or they, their family broke up when they were very young and, and they had to, you know, step into caring for themselves at a really young age. And what they told themselves and what that sort of subconscious messages was that, you know, I'm not worthy of being cared for, or I have to hustle all the time, or else I'll be in danger. And, you know, and many other things, but um, those messages kept them safe during a time when it was required, you know, if they were a little four or five year old, and they had to be at home by themselves after kindergarten. Yeah, you have to be pretty strict with like, I better lock the door or something bad might happen, right? That's important. But what happens is that those beliefs persist, and then they're 40. And they're still anxious on that level because of that belief. And sometimes it's important to pull those things up to the surface and re-examine them and say, well, you know, I'm a 40-year-old adult. I have a job. I've got a lot of agency in my life. I've got a lot of control in my life. Do I really need to be as anxious as I was when I was a five-year-old latchkey kid? Right. And but and I've I've worked with a lot of people that have been able to reframe the story that they told themselves right, to say like, hey, I'm a survivor and I did a great job during a really tough time in my life. I brought myself to this place in life where I'm successful, right? And now you can relax and enjoy your success instead of feeling like you've still gotta like be hyper vigilant and worry about some threat that's gonna come and carry you away, right? And it's it's important sometimes to just re-examine some of those things in our lives and our beliefs and and see if we can you know love ourselves better <laughs> oh that yes it's spot you know it, it's really spot on that's some spot on stuff right there I, i'm listening as i'm listening to you i'm thinking about myself i'm like wow like it's you know when you envision yourself as the four or five year old and you're looking back now like do i do i is all this anxiousness necessary is this necessary like you said mm -hmm. it's it's so it's so important it, it's so important is this is I want to. I want to ask you this. It, 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 I'm like. I'm really getting excited. I need to calm down. Okay. All right. I, I get excited. I really. I'm. I get so passionate about my podcast that I get so excited to ask these questions. I want to know: Is that something that you touch on in the book? That's why I got so excited. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, what? What? What specifically about? Sorry. Yeah, anxiousness. Do you touch? Do you touch that in the book? Because I know your book. You know, you talk on happiness, yeah. success. Do you touch on that? Uh, I, I'm trying to think it, I mean, I definitely touch on that. Yes. Um, although I'm not sure that I come right out and call it anxiety. I think I, I call it, you know, the, I think there's a section in there about like the lies that we tell ourselves, <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of falls into it. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll tell our thing selves things to keep us quote unquote safe when we're not even in a dangerous situation. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to give you an example of one of the things that sort of opened my eyes up to how I was really over investing my energy in things that were kind of worthless. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was, you know, working in the corporate world, if say I had a, a presentation or a big meeting with one of the senior executives, sometimes I would like super over prepare. 
And I would worry a lot and I would be thinking, you know, 24 seven, oh my gosh, like what might he ask me or what might they ask? What, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? You know, I had to feel like I had to be prepared for anything that might happen, right? Cause I, I was telling myself, frankly, that I had to be perfect. If I didn't, if I wasn't perfect, you know, and then I wasn't worthy or something like that, or I was gonna, you know, be looked at negatively if I didn't nail everything perfectly. Um, and inevitably, what would happen is I'd go in, I'd do the presentation or whatever, and everything was fine. And then something that I didn't even think about would come out of left field, you know, like the projector would break or somebody would ask some like weird question that never in a million years would I expect that they would ask me. And guess what? You deal with it, right? You, you know, you continue doing the presentation without the slides when the projector breaks, right? Like I knew my stuff, I could do that. Or if somebody asks you a weird question, you're like, you know what, let me do some research and get back to you on that, right? And what I would realize is that I had it within me just to show up, you know, to prepare a reasonable amount and to show up and let my intelligence and my talent and my natural brilliance, not to be like big headed or anything, but you know, I'm a talented, smart person to let that flow, right? Don't get in my way by like worrying too much or thinking like, what if, what if, what if? Just deal with it in the moment because you're not going to be able to prepare for everything, right? And and when you allow things to flow, you're going to have more energy to gracefully answer that question. And, you know, when I I started observing what senior level executives do whenever they're presenting and somebody asks them some off the wall question. They say, I'm not prepared to answer that right now, or let me get back to you or good question. Let's we'll, we'll do some more research into that. Right. <laughs> they don't, they don't feel like they have to answer that question on the spot. And so I kind of took a, a cue from them and started incorporating that into my you know, list of responses if somebody asked you something that you couldn't answer. Yeah, this is incredible. Um, you definitely forgot to mention this now. We definitely want to throw this in there. I need a copy of your book and I need a signed copy. I need a signed <laughs> copy. I've been collecting, seriously, I'm like Thanos with these books now. All of my previous guests that are all authors, I have a collection of all of their books signed. So I'm collecting uh -huh. everyone's okay. books and I'm reading everyone's books. So I definitely am eager, very eager for your book because there is a lot that I'm learning just from interviewing. Okay. Well, just here, I'll just give you a preview of what you'll get and I will sign it for you. <laughs> hey, you can put my name on the gold medal. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So I want to hit you with a, a couple last questions. Um, the last question, there are two, but they're, they're very symbolic for me, right? my first question would be what is your why right the second question is what is the power message you would you want the audience to take away from this episode and your appearance on the podcast yeah yeah so um my why is to help people you know just be happy and enjoy their lives you know when i when i made the shift from marketing to coaching I, I really looked at what was it that motivated me as a marketer. And for a lot of marketers, it's like, oh, well, I want to, I want to, you know, run great campaigns and all of that. And when I really looked into my soul and said, what is it that I really get the most satisfaction 
um, from in this job, it was working with the business leaders to sit down and listen to their problems and to create a solution that made their lives easier, right? That's where I got my satisfaction from. And that's what I'm trying to do as a coach. That's my why. And then my power message to people is that your happiness matters, okay? Like you are not put on this earth to be a robot and, you know, be miserable and work at something where you're just, you know, toiling away every day. You know, you were put here because you have unique gifts and, you know, believe in that. The more that you believe in that, the more that others will see it, the more opportunities that you'll have, um, you know, you're worthy of being happy. That's my message. Yeah, I love it. I, I freaking love it. You know, I, I, I got a couple of messages. I got a couple of messages from just these show notes. I'm like, wow, like that's your message. But I got a lot of personal messages <laughs> I took as the host. Like, wow, like you were pre you were literally preaching to me. And I love it because, you know, I love it. I love it because, you know, again, you know, you meet one, you know, you meet one person. It's like you're meeting thousands of people and you come with this insight and wisdom and you're just sharing these gems. And I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable on the podcast and just and like really just diving into it because, you know, I would say sometimes you don't have to, but man, like you did, like, there's some things where it's like, wow, like that was really good. That was really helpful. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the audience could definitely take away from a lot of the things that you mentioned, especially about outcomes are based on beliefs. Fear is the lowest energy. Uh, things like that, like that is like, these are things that you don't you don't you don't hear as much, but as you hear it, it makes a lot of sense. So it just makes you do a lot of reconstruction work within yourself. So yeah. that's what I love. Oh man, this was good. But in closing, I definitely want to thank you again for just stopping by on the podcast. I'll definitely send you my mailing for the book, of course. But for my audience, I want to thank you guys for streaming this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Like always, I want you to stream all episodes of the St. Clair Speaks Your Podcast. We are now streaming on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Overcast, Radio Public, Pandora, Audible. You could stream this entire interview on Facebook and YouTube. Terry, please, before we let you go, tell our audience, where can we follow you and your story, your podcast, your websites, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you can find me at my website, terrybmcdougal.com. I'm also very active on LinkedIn, and my handle there is terrybmcdougal. If you would like to buy my book, it's available on Amazon. It's called Winning the Game of Work, Career, Happiness, and Success on Your Own Terms. And finally, if you're a marketing nerd like me, <laughs> um, my podcast is called Marketing Mambo, and it is um, available on all of the podcast platforms, or you can go to marketingmambo.net to listen and subscribe. I love it. I love it. Terry, thank you so much again for stopping by on the St. Clair's podcast. For the audience, I'll see you guys in the next one. Like I always say, it's that time. I'm out.